The following audio is from a sermon series entitled King Jesus, studying the life and work of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. All right, well, let me just start by saying this. I think we've got a serious problem in our society today. We don't know what to take seriously and what to take lightly. You Just go to Facebook, okay? If you want confirmation, we don't know what to take seriously and what to take lightly, just take a look at your news feed, right? The things that we should take lightly, namely ourselves, we take very seriously, we esteem them above all others, and the things that we should take serious, God, Jesus, heaven, hell, the truth, we treat very lightly. G.K. Chesterton, listen to this, writing a hundred years ago, said this, But what we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition. Modesty has settled upon the organ of conviction. Listen, where it was never meant to be. Listen, a man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed. So Chesterton is saying that humility, thinking less of ourselves, was meant to temper our ambition so we don't rule the world. We're not raising a bunch of Hitlers, right? We're we're supposed to doubt ourselves, think of ourselves lightly, but be undoubting about the truth. See, we all need tempered. We all need humility in ourselves. We make mistakes. We're foolish. We're finite creatures. We need correction from time to time, and humility is not taking ourselves too seriously, right? Understanding that. And humility, as C.S. Lewis talks about, is humility is a fountain of happiness. Humility is really the source of happiness because you can laugh and you can be merry and you can not fret over what everybody thinks of you. I don't have to worry about my identity and what everybody thinks about me. I can be me, and me has some flaws, right? I'm a finite creature, and I can just be me and not worry about it because I think I don't think of myself so highly, right? It's humility in myself. But as Chesterton said, this humility has gone wrong in our culture. Our humility now has switched organs. No longer are we humble about ourself. Now we're humble about the truth. You know, this is called pluralism. You hear in our society, you see it on Facebook all the time. Your truth might not be my truth. What's true for you might not be true for me. And what we're saying there is there is no objective truth. There is no standardized truth. There is not one thing that is true and everything else is false. So now, because of this pluralization of everything, every, you know, it's okay to be whatever you want to be, and there is no right or wrong, and there is no truth, it's no longer acceptable in our society, on Facebook, in, the, in politics, in the public square, at work, it's no longer acceptable to tell anyone the truth. And by the truth, we mean Jesus Christ said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And, the, and, and, and we mean God's truth, that God made a truth from the beginning. The laws of gravity are part of that truth. The laws of reproduction are a part of that truth. The laws of morality are part of that truth. The laws of a just 
loving society are part of that truth, that God set things up in accordance with a standard of truth, and there's things that are against that and break that. And now in our society, it's no longer acceptable to have a standard of truth. The only virtue in our society is to be nice. That's the only virtue. And here's the thing. What happens when a Hitler stands up and your only virtue is to be nice? Right? See, we need some truth that, ha- that has some sharp edges that can say this guy uh, needs to be taken out, right? Or put in prison, right? We need truth. We don't need just to be nice all the time. G.K. Chesterton, when he was saying the statement, he went on to say this. A hundred years ago, mind you, we are on the road to producing a race of men too mentally modest to believe in the multiplication table. We are on the road of, to producing a race of men too mentally modest. What is truth? I don't really know. To believe in the multiplication table. Now, we aren't there yet, but we're close. We still believe in math, but there's other binary things that we don't believe in. In this next chapter, Jesus is going to say this, in the beginning, God made them male and female. It's binary. 99.9% of people are born male or female. There is the 0.01% that have some kind of malady and malfunction that's going on. That's a result of the fall. It's a result of just like getting cancer and everything else, a result of the, 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 the creation groaning under the weight of sin. But they're born male and female. This uh, a couple months ago, uh, we have a, a friend that let us know, my wife and I, that they are no longer, she's no longer female. And we said, okay. And there's a lot of modification going on. No, no, I'm not getting modified and anything like that. I'm not, you know, getting an upgrade or anything. Um, I am gender fluid. And we said, well, what does it mean to be gender fluid? Well, it means that today I'm a girl, tomorrow I might be a man. Next day, I might be a girl. Next day, I might be a man. I'm fluid. My gender is fluid. And she said, and so it's very offensive when you call me she. And I said, well, what do you want to be called? Them. I want to be called them. We said, them, plural. Okay. Now, honestly, when I heard this a couple months ago, first off, now listen, I'm just going to say it like this. Here's, I know. That's just silly. Right? It's just silly. Now listen, listen. I'm not saying she's silly. Absolutely not. She's made in the image of God. She has dignity, value, and worth. The, the, whatever's going on in her mind, in her emotions, in her feelings, in her body, that is not silly. But wanting us to call her them, that is silly. That is mentally modest. That is humility in the wrong place. I'm offended if you call me she. Now, I thought this was really weird until this week I heard and I read an article that out west, uh, the first university is now making their students, they can't say he and she, they must say Z to be not offensive to anyone. I heard that and I was like, seriously? Like, <laughs> Z? Z? We're, we're creating new categories. This is, who... Can we just say it's silly? Can we just say it's foolish? Now, I'm not saying the person is foolish, and I want you to hear that. I'm saying the idea, the concept is foolish. You're born male or female. It's binary. 
Now, I think we take ourselves too seriously. Like, uh, uh, she, my friend takes herself so seriously that she expects the world to call her them. I'm like, really? I think it's silly. And Jesus here, and I'm not trying to be offensive at all, but I can't get around the fact that here we find ourselves in a text that is going to be offensive to us all because we all have this kind of idea where our morality and our sense of right and wrong and our sense of being offended, we take ourselves really seriously and we take the truth kind of dismissively. Jesus is going to show us that it's a grave mistake to take ourselves too seriously and treat the truth lightly. In fact, you could say that today is Jesus is serious as hell about our eternal life. And he's going to use some offensive language to get his point across. Let's jump into our text. If you have your Bibles, we're in chapter 9, verse 38. If you don't have a Bible, there's some scattered along the floor. You can pull out your app, and you can find it right there. If you do pull out your app, I would ask you to put your phone on airplane mode for me so I'm not insecure up here thinking you're checking your Facebook and saying all the offensive things that I'm saying. I don't know what's going on with our screens today. I apologize for that. We haven't had technical difficulties in years, and all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're going nuts today. Um, chapter 9, verse 38. Let's jump into this. Let's read this. John said to Jesus, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop them because he was not following us. Now, this instance of the Gospel of Mark is unique. We haven't heard from John yet. This is the first and actually only instance we hear from John. But Peter is giving us an eyewitness testimony in Mark, and he remembers something important that Jesus said. Now listen, do you remember John? In the third chapter of Mark, we get introduced to John. He's the brother of James, and Jesus had a nickname for him. Do you know what that nickname was? James and John, Jesus called the Sons of Thunder. That's a cool nickname. Like, That's WWE-style nickname right there, the Sons of Thunder, right? Now, we don't know why. It's so cool. The Bible doesn't tell us why he calls John and James the Sons of Thunder, but we have two vignettes that that show us their personality that might lead us to believe why they are called the Sons of Thunder. The first one... Um, is kind of funny, actually. And it's uh, in Luke 10. Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him to make preparations for him in the city. But the Samaritans, listen, the Samaritans reject the disciples. So Jesus' boys come to the city, James and John, and the, and the Samaritans go, get out of here. We don't want anything to do with you. You can't stay here. And this makes James, James and John so mad. This is what they say to Jesus. Lord, do you want us to make fire fall down from heaven and destroy this city? Like, that's their response. They don't get a hotel, and that's their response, right? Burn them up. Let's do it. And Jesus rebukes them. He's like, no, you don't get to do that, right? Now, that that might give us some insight into these types of people. And now, here's the second vignette that we see today. The James and John and the disciples show up. They see this guy doing miracles in Jesus' name. He's casting out demons. By the way, the same thing early in their chapter that they were unable to do because they didn't pray, right? And this isn't just James and John. It's all of the apostles. They find this guy successfully casting out demons, and he's doing it even in Jesus' name, and the disciples go, who is this guy? This guy, and they go up to him, and James literally quit that. Stop doing what you're doing. I don't know who you think you are. And they go back to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, I like it because they said they tried to stop him. 
right? So they couldn't stop him. They go back and they say, Jesus, this guy is casting out demons in your name, and he's not with us. And Jesus says this, look at verse 39. Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of cold water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Jesus says, don't stop him. This guy's, anybody who's not against us is for us. Now, this is an interesting statement because Jesus says twice in Luke 11 and Matthew 12. Now listen, he says something that sounds like almost the exact opposite of what he's saying here. In those two spots, Jesus says this, whoever is not with me is against me. Here, here he's saying, whoever is not against us is for us. They sound almost opposing statements, but they're not. Listen, here's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, anybody not with me is against me. Anybody not against us is for us. He's making clear separation here. He's taking himself very seriously. Anybody not for me, Jesus, is against me. He's taking their group less serious. He's taking us less serious. Jesus was teaching the disciples that anyone who doesn't follow him is actually working against him because he's the truth. And if you're not following Jesus, you're actually fighting against the standard of truth. You're fighting against the way the universe was created, the grain of the universe. If you're not with Jesus, you're cutting across the grain. You're fighting against the way God created the world. But you can be in a different group. Here, hear this. You can be in a different group than the apostles and still be for Jesus and still be moving the gospel forward. That's why he illustrates In verse 41, he says, all ministry, this is cool, even the simplest things like giving a cup of water to a person in the name of Christ gets rewarded in God's kingdom. See, it's not just the preachers who get the rewards in heaven. It's those who give out cups of cold water. Any any service done in the name of Christ gets rewarded in the kingdom. Now, what does that mean for us? This means for us, Christians, I'm speaking directly to you this morning, That anyone who is preaching the gospel of Jesus in our city and serving our city in the name of Christ, even in the smallest ways, we're for them. We are on the same team. We should pray for one another and partner together for the advance of the gospel and the good of our city. Anytime we have a chance, we should do it. Right? If they're not against us, they're for us. Praise God. But, so we should take ourselves very lightly here. We, we don't take ourselves serious. We're not the only church preaching the gospel in the city, right? We love what we're doing. We're passionate about what we're doing here, but we're not the only church doing it, right? But at the same time, we take ourselves lightly. We have to take Jesus very seriously. If a church preaches a false Jesus, a false gospel, it's preaching a different Jesus from the scriptures, we don't partner with them because they're actually working against the real Jesus, Now, what are three common gospels that we hear in our city, in the world, that are false gospels? First one is called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, you hear me rally against it quite a bit. The prosperity gospel is come to Jesus and he'll make everything in your life better. Come to Jesus and you won't get cancer. Come to Jesus and you'll be rich and happy in this life. Come to Jesus and you'll keep the demons at bay. Come to Jesus and he'll make this world heavenly. It's a false gospel. It's one of the most popular false gospels 
in our society and in the world. Why? Because it's Americanized. It's the American dream mixed with religion. God will give you a bigger house. God will give you a jet if you ask for one. Right? Though I would like to preach that gospel because I wouldn't be driving a 10-year-old Ford, right? It's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. We reject it. We don't partner with churches who preach it. Okay? Secondly, this one is co- pretty common too. It's, called, it's just called legalism. It's just a works-based religion. And it's, it's, it's in many different forms, but one, it's like this. Clean up your life and come to Jesus. Right? Become a right-wing uh, conservative and come to Jesus. Or it's come to Jesus, now get to work. Keep reading your Bible, keep praying, keep being good enough, keep being smart enough in order for Jesus to love you. If you want to grow in your faith, get to work. It's a workspace. It's about what I do to either earn my salvation or to keep my salvation, right? Now, a lot of our Catholic brothers and sisters in the, are being taught that works, works-based religion. A lot of our, a lot of, many churches are teaching that, that it's not Grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, that we're saved and sanctified. That's a false gospel. And, sec- and thirdly, this one's a big word. It's called antinomianism. What? Everybody talks about this on Facebook all the time, right? It's hanging out with this antinomius this weekend. Man, it got crazy. What does that mean? Anti against nomia, the law. Against the law. And it teaches this. Come to Jesus, do whatever you want. Jesus accepts everybody. Doesn't matter the lifestyle you live. Doesn't matter what you think sin is, what you don't think sin is. Doesn't matter who you marry. Doesn't matter who you have sex with. Doesn't matter how much money you steal. Doesn't matter. Come to Jesus, ask him for forgiveness, then live however you want. Like there's no law. Did you miss that, Siri? Okay, pick that one up. Again, it's called antinomianism, Siri. Google it. Right? Now listen, here's the funny thing. All of these false gospels, all of these false gospels have one thing in common. They take themselves, us, too seriously. And therefore, they take sin less serious and they take Jesus less serious. The prosperity gospel takes myself so serious and my right now happiness so serious that it says if God loved me, he would have to bless me and keep me healthy and give me money takes myself real serious. Works-based religion says, I take myself so serious that I'm a pretty good dude. Just give me a list of things and I can do it. Let me earn my way in. Let me make this happen like a good entrepreneur in an American spirit. takes myself way too serious. doesn't take sin serious that sin's affected me. And antinomianism takes myself so serious that I just want to do what I want to do. And I want my way or the highway and I want to go to heaven, but I don't want heaven to infect my life today. Right? All of them take ourselves far too seriously. Now, this ver- it's about to get heavy up in here. Okay, so you guys already know it. We already read it. Let's, let's, go, let's read 42. Jesus says this. Man, it's hot in here. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Now, who are the little ones? Surprisingly, guys, it's not children. This is connected with what we just read. The little ones are not children here. Jesus does talk about children a lot, but not here. The little ones are this guy who's casting out a demon, this guy who's unauthorized by the apostles, this guy who's doing good gospel ministry, who 
Jesus equates with somebody giving out a cup of water. So just put that in your mind. The little ones are somebody who's doing unnoticed gospel ministry in the city. Unnoticed Christian. Jesus says anyone who causes one of these unnoticed Christians to sin, look what happens. It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Put this picture up here. Do we have the picture? Okay, it's coming. That is a millstone. Now, they would put grain in here, and this would be hooked to a donkey or an ox, and the donkey or an ox would walk around this, and this would smash the grain, right? So they could make bread, and they could make all their stuff that they would make. This is a millstone, okay? Jesus says, for the Christians in the room, it would be better for you to have this concrete necklace and thrown into the river then cause another young Christian to sin and to stumble. That's what Jesus says right here for the Christians in the room. Jesus said it would be better for you, right, to swim a couple laps with a concrete necklace than to stop someone who's doing good gospel work in our city, no matter how small it is, no matter if it's just a cup of cold water. Now, we need to talk about this. There is a difference this is, I'm going to help you read your Bible, okay? There's a difference between taking something serious and taking it literally. Jesus here is using a hyperbolic metaphor, okay? okay? He's not being literal. He's not saying that we need to start a millstone ministry that tosses dudes in the river, right? And some of you guys were ready to sign up for it. I could see it. It's not what he's saying. But listen, Even though Jesus isn't being literal, he's serious. And we need to see this. The disciples were taking themselves too seriously. They thought they were the only church in town. They thought they had a corner on the gospel market. Jesus was showing them, you don't. And that sense of superiority that you feel over others, that sense of entitlement is a sin that damages God's kingdom, it damages God's church on this earth, and it would be better for you to be killed before you commit that sin. It would be better for you to be killed before you harm God's church in that way. Now, that's what Jesus says to the religious in this room, right? That we feel like we have the right theology and we feel like we are the best church in town. He says, you're not the only gospel church in town, folks. And before you sin against another believer... It'd be better for that. Jesus is talking here. Jesus, like, does anybody, is this, this, Jesus is so real to me. Kids are in the room, and he pulls them up and puts them on his lap, and he's just the softest, lovable, cuddly, you know, like Jesus. And then in the next sentence, he's like, it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck thrown in the river than for you to do that. Like, Jesus is not this lamb or just this lion. Jesus is so unique that he's both a lion and a lamb. He's tough and he's tender. So unique. Now, let's keep reading. I could spend a lot more time on that, but I'm not going to. And, so he's still going. He's in the same conversation. Jesus says, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. 
And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, listen, when we read this, some of us, honestly, some of us laugh. Are you serious? Cut off my hand, gouge out my eyes, give me a break. Now, why do we have that reaction? We have that reaction because we live in our society, in our culture, and that's the air that we breathe. 200 years ago, people did not have a problem with this text. They saw it and they said, yeah, that's right. That's how serious sin is. But because we have lost a sense of truth and a sense of right and a sense of wrong, now we kind of say, that's really ridiculous. Cut off my hand, cut off my feet. Why? Because we take ourselves very seriously. We say, my flesh and blood, my body is way more important than this truth that eternal life and Jesus and heaven and hell. We take this flesh and blood way too serious, far more serious than we take Jesus. Now, a few years ago, if you remember, there's a guy named Aaron Ralston, and he was out west, and he was doing some exploring, and he's going down this cave, and he's an expert, and he didn't tell anybody where he's going. He rides his mountain bike out. He drops it. He goes down to this cave. He, he jumps onto this, you know, like, t- like eight-ton boulder, and it just so happens that this boulder moves, and it pins his arm up against the wall of the cave. And he's sitting there like this. He can barely touch the ground. And he's got this boulder smack. And he tried for four days to get himself out. Tried everything he knew to get himself out. And after four days, he realized he was going to die if he did not do the last thing possible. And he reached in his pocket and he pulled out his little Swiss army knife that was two inches long. And he proceeded to cut, to break the bones in his arm first and then cut through the flesh, the sinew, the nerves, the tendons, painfully and slowly. And then he made a tourniquet, and he climbed himself out, hiked five miles. There's a movie about it if you haven't seen it. Hiked five miles to be rescued. Now, why did he do that? Because Aaron Ralston knew it was le- this arm is less important than my life. I take this arm less serious than I take the rest of my life. I will die if I don't do it. So he cuts it off. Jesus is saying, it's better to lose a body part than it is to let that body part cause you to lose your eternal life. Now what's kind of ironic, knowing this is hyperbole actually makes it more serious than if it was literal. Jesus does not teach what the later Gnostic teachers, the Greek teachers, a couple hundred years later taught. Jesus doesn't teach that the body is a fleshly prison that needs to be shed in order to experience true life. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Jesus Jesus did not teach that the earthly is bad and the spiritual is good. He didn't teach that. This earth is really good. It's infected by sin, but he's coming back to renew this whole earth. He's not taking us away to Neverland. Jesus is bringing Neverland to us. Jesus is bringing heaven to us and remaking all of the earth. Jesus teaches that he doesn't... So we have this mentality, 
I should do something spiritual. Let's pray. Jesus says, do something spiritual. Hand out water. Do you see that in that text already? Like giving water to someone in the name of Christ gets you eternal rewards. Jesus didn't separate the flesh and the spirit like that. He's not saying that sin lies just in our flesh, and if we cut it off, we'll be healed. See, if Jesus was literal, then the best way to get rid of sin would be just to cut, all you have to do, this is simple, painful, but simple, all you have to do, whatever causes you to sin, just cut it off. That's easy. Well, how much, you know, how, how long would it take for there to be nothing left of you, right? There, there would be pretty, pretty quick, probably, like a day, right? A day, and we would be <laughs> body parts on the floor. Well, he was a nice guy. I kind of liked him, right? But here, Jesus teaches in other places that sin begins where? In our heart. Sin begins in our heart. And Jesus, when he uses the word heart, he's not talking about the organ that pumps blood through our body. Jesus uses the word heart. He uses it like we do when we say, honey, you have my heart. Right? We aren't being literal, I hope. Like she has it in a box somewhere or something, right? Hannibal Lecter style. This is nerd, right? We are being metaphorical, right? You have my heart. You have my affections. You have my love. You have my deepest feelings. When Jesus says that sin begins in the heart, he says sin begins in the deepest recesses of us where our mind and our heart and our will combines and coalesces. It's in our soul. Think about that. If sin begins soul deep, then how are we supposed to cut it out? You can chop yourself into a tiny million pieces, right? How are you going to get it out if it's soul deep? That's an, another way to say this. How do you change your desires, what you want, if it's that deep? If our, sin, if our desires have been sinful, how do we change that if our s- desires are so deep in our soul? How do we change what we want in the deepest part of who we are? If we're going to take Jesus serious here, and Jesus, who we don't just think is a good moral teacher, that he says he's the son of God, God sent him from heaven to live a perfect life, to show us what life was meant to be lived like, right? If we're going to listen to Jesus and take his word serious here, we have to answer these questions. If we don't, these these questions, how, how serious is Jesus here? He's serious as heaven and hell. Jesus is telling us that what we do in this life will, have absol- will absolutely have eternal consequences. He says those who take sin seriously will enter into life. He uses that word three to- or two times in the text and once he calls it the kingdom of God. If you take sin seriously you will enter into life. The word there is zoe in the Greek. That's where we got my daughter's name from. It means heaven, but it means an un, it means, I don't even, it's so hard to explain. It means a place of healthiness, exuberance, vitality like we have never known. Like this world is a nightmare compared to zoe, compared to eternal life. 
But Jesus said, and that's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants everyone in this room to enter into eternal life, to have this exuberance, this healthiness, this vitality that we've never known in this world because from the moment we're born, we start dying, right? The whole universe is fighting against us. One day we're going to a box and we're going to be turned to mush by maggots, okay? I'm just sorry. I know we didn't come here to hear that, but that's what's working right now. That's what's working on us. The universe is pressing us. Our faces are beginning to sag. Our muscles do not just grow on their own, right? We get weaker. Teenagers, you don't believe me, right? You don't believe me. I know. Yesterday I was one, I swear. Not just in temperament, but I feel like yesterday I was a teenager. And today I have four children. I'm an old man. I'm getting there. The universe is conspiring against us. And Jesus says, that's because of sin, and I want you to have eternal life where the worm, where maggots, where rust, where none of that happens. Everything is life and life more abundantly. I want you to have that. But listen to Jesus. Jesus is not a universalist. Jesus does not teach that everyone's going to heaven. Jesus says, if you take your sin seriously, you can. But everyone, in the words of Jesus, this isn't me saying this, is Jesus, will not enter life. Jesus says, people who do not take their sin seriously in this life will go to the place he calls hell. And the word Jesus used here is Gehenna. And Gehenna was a place just south of Jerusalem where child sacrifices had taken place. And at, that t- at the time of Jesus, it was a literal garbage dump where they burned the city's garbage. So the fires literally never went out. Re- uh, nasty dogs would go there to eat. It was a place of despicable, it was the most deplorable place imaginable. It was cursed. It was stinking. It was burning all the time. The smoke was always rising from this place called Gehenna, this place called hell. Jesus says here, it's hell is a place of unquenchable fire. This is what Jesus says about hell. And we have people in our society that Jesus never talked about hell. They say that because we don't read our Bibles. They can convince us of that because we don't read our Bibles. Jesus right here says, if you don't take your sin seriously, then there's this place called hell reserved for you. It's a scary, and we don't, if this is your first time here, I think, honestly, in four years, this is the first time I've ever taught on hell. So if you're like, oh, here we go. How did I find myself in one of these churches? Right? Fire and brimstone, screaming about hell for an hour. Like, I I don't teach on this very often, but but when we come to it in Jesus' words, we're going to talk about it. Right? We're going to talk about it. Jesus is saying, if you don't take your sin seriously, let me see. Let me just say Aaron Ralston serious. Like, if I don't do something about my sin, I'm going to die in this cave. If I don't do something about my sin, I'm going to die and I will go to hell. That's what Jesus says. And for people who think that's an offensive message, there's an atheist out there from Penn and Teller, and he says in this video, he says, if you believe the Bible, what, at what point do you not just tackle someone and tell them? that they could be going to hell. 
If your best friend is walking out in front of a a bus, you could say, hey, the bus is coming. Hey, the bus is coming. But there's going to come a point in time where if I love this person at all, I'm going to tackle them, take them down. And he goes, I respect Christians. He's an atheist. He says, I respect Christians that have the spine enough to stand up and tell me that I might be going to hell and to give me a Bible and to tell me the gospel. Because if I'm going to hell, that's serious. He doesn't want Christians to be like, eh, I don't want to be offensive to anybody. If we love them, we'll tell them this. This is the words of Jesus. He is grace. Jesus is grace embodied. He is the kindest man you've ever met. So kind, he can tell you this harsh word to save your soul. So what's the answer this morning? Listen, this is where we see the stark difference between Jesus and every other religion on the planet. Listen, every other religion has some kind of teaching just like this that says, take yourself serious. Cut off your hand. Here's the rules. Obey the rules. You can do it. If you do a good enough job, you'll enter into eternal life. Listen to me. Jesus is the opposite of that. He's not saying that. The problem, we can, we, we can read our Bibles and we can take this out of the rest of the story, the rest of the context. We don't want to take this out of the rest of the con- context, the rest of the story. See, Jesus preaches this sermon, takes sin this seriously, but then he goes to the cross to die in the place of sinners. Jesus is not telling us to cut off our hands and our feet. He's telling us take our sin so seriously that we see our great need and then we treat him seriously. See, if I'm using logic, I go, where does sin begin? Does sin begin to my heart? No. Arm? No. Eyes? No. Mind? No. Heart? Ooh, yes. What do I do? How do I get this out of my soul, out of my heart? I have to take it this seriously to say, I have a sickness and I need a remedy. Who has the remedy? Jesus has the remedy. Think about this. For those of, you, for those of us in here who kind of have we've been swimming in the waters of our culture for so long that our sin, your pornography addiction, it's kind of not a big deal anymore. The lustful thoughts you're having about your secretary aren't a big deal anymore. The way you're treating your kids aren't a big deal anymore. Those extra five, ten, twenty dollars that you're pocketing or a thousand dollars you're pocketing, they're not a big deal to you anymore. The way you're treating other Christians in the city is not a big deal for you anymore. The way you treat your spouse is not a big deal for you anymore. Jesus is saying, you better take your sin seriously that it pushes you back to the cross. It pushes you back to Jesus, that you need a redeemer. You need someone to save you. How serious? Think about this. If you don't take your sin serious, you're never going to take Jesus serious. But Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God who never sinned, how seriously did he take your sin? How seriously did Jesus take your sin? Jesus took your, so, your sin so seriously, he died for it. See, we don't need to cut off our hands and feet because Jesus' hands and feet were nailed to a cross for us. See, Jesus took our place and took the punishment that we deserve for our sin to give us new life. Jesus didn't just cut off a hand, gouge out his eyes, or cut off his feet. Jesus took it all the way to death. 
The death of a criminal on a cross, the perfect son of God. No other religion has a story like this, and ours is true. Documented in history, Jesus Christ, the son of God, died for sinners. See, taking our sins seriously means taking the cross of Jesus and taking Jesus seriously. Jesus' core message, let me just say, we say it a lot, like this around here a lot. Jesus' core message was this. You are more sinful than you ever imagined, and yet you are simultaneously more loved than you ever hoped for. In the cross, both are true. We're so sinful, Christ had to die for us. We could never be good enough on our own, and yet we're so loved by Jesus, he willingly went to the cross to die for us. But people who take their, themselves too seriously, they miss out on that love. They'll never, they'll, they're always trying to convince themselves and others that they're better than other people. They're good enough. They're going to clean their act. They'll never get grace like this. They'll never get love. It'll never change their heart. They're just too afraid to admit that they have sin deep in their heart that needs to be killed at the cross of Jesus. See, people who take themselves too seriously can never repent. They can never say, I'm sorry. They can never say, I, they just say it was a mistake. They can't say it was sin. But Jesus is telling us here, listen, the only way to enter life, the only way to enter the kingdom of God is by faith in Christ and repentance, turning from our sin and turning to Jesus Christ, the one who died for us on the cross. And the amazing thing about God's kingdom Theologians say it's already and not yet. That means his kingdom has been uh, inaugurated. Jesus Christ lived and died and was resurrected. And there, therefore, we see pockets of good things happening in our city. The Spirit's here and people are gathering and people are coming. Well, my bad. People are coming to faith. This is good, but the kingdom is not yet. Jesus Christ will come back someday and remake this whole world into his perfect kingdom. Or there will, like we talked about, it will be life. So when you come to faith, you're entering into this story that Christ has already come, but we're waiting for him to come back to make all things new. So what do we do in the city? As Christians, we work hard for the good of our city. We serve our city. We love our city. We want to see people come to know Jesus because God's kingdom has been inaugurated and it will be consummated when he comes back. So one of the things that we do to remind us of this fact, first off, let me just say, if you're a guest with us this morning, I plead with you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't ask you to clean yourself up. He doesn't ask, you know, you to be good enough and start dressing a certain way. And so he, he's, do you see that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? If you do, he is a great Savior. He is the only Savior. He's the Son of God who paid for your sins. Put your faith, believe in that, trust in that. And then come back and let us teach you. Let us teach you about what it looks like to live in this kingdom. And for Christians... We repent too, right? We, that's why we confess our sins on every Sunday morning. We need Jesus too right now. We need Jesus to continue to make us into better husbands and wives, better parents, better bosses and, work, and, and co-workers and such, right? We need to be better Christians. And we want to ask Christ to do that in us. And as we come to the table this morning, I want you to think about it. I want you to confess your sin to him, repent to him, take your sin seriously. That addiction that you've got, that you've been hiding, Take it seriously and repent and 
And if you need to, confess it to me, one of the pastors, or confess it to a, your fight club member or your missional community member, and let's get some counsel. Let's work through it. Don't hide it. Take it seriously. Aaron Ralston serious. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for your mercy and your kindness that was shown to us in your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would teach us your ways. You would teach us how to live in this city, how to love our neighbors who um, are swimming in this culture, who don't have a standard of truth, and sometimes the truth can sound really, really offensive. Help us say it in love. Help us love them genuinely um, like you loved us. And I pray as we come to the table this morning that we would be reminded that Jesus Christ paid the price of sin once and for all and his body was broken. The Son of God was broken. His blood was shed to cover and to cleanse us from our sin. We thank you for this gift. Let us eat like thankful, grateful, worshipful Christians this morning. In Christ's powerful name we pray. Amen.